same China, different stories. We are the ones that found their way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. Today, I am speaking with a highly anticipated guest on my end, yes. and also my first in-person interview recording, ooh, COVID times. I am speaking today with Ben. He is a Chinese adoptee and has two fathers, yep. plus other parents, yep. too. I will let Ben introduce himself. Go ahead, Ben. Well, yeah, first off, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. This is my first official podcast that I'll be recording, so uh, so it's an honor. And yeah, my name is Ben, Ben Smith. Lots of people call me by both names for whatever reason. I think it sounds pretty cool. And yeah, as you mentioned, I am a Chinese transracial adoptee. I was adopted in 1994 uh, by two dads. And throughout the years, our, you know, our family has changed a little bit. Um, you know, my sister was adopted a little bit later, well, seven and a half years later. And then my family continued to transform and, and grow, as I say, and, and really turn into the modern day family, very much like the TV show. Okay. I have to admit, I haven't seen Modern Family, but I, I know the premise. You probably know the premise. I yeah, know the exactly. premise. I've already told Ben this before we started recording, but I should just share it again. In many episodes previous to this one, I have talked about you, kind of like a fangirl in a way, but in a, in a very modest <laughs> setting, so... Gonna put that out there. Before I'm flattered. We I'm flattered. I'm flattered. Yep. Yep. I found Ben because it was actually through a mutual friend of somebody else that I had spoken with before starting the podcast, and she brought up Ben's YouTube channel. So some people may know you from your YouTube channel, and that's probably why they call you Ben Smith, your whole name, because isn't it? Maybe. Probably very few people know me from my YouTube YouTube channel, but uh, hopefully people know me. You know, have known me just throughout the years. Uh, in the communities that I'm, a, that I'm a part of. Oh, that's right. And Ben's also a New Yorker. Grew up yes, in New York. Yes. Yeah. Also in Park Slope? Around New York. I, I grew up mostly in downtown Manhattan near near Washington Square Park. Oh, okay. Yeah, actually more close to uh, to Astor Place. But, uh, you know, I moved around a bunch as well. So I've been all across Manhattan and the Bronx a little bit in, the, in Brooklyn as well. I went to high school in Brooklyn as well. So, yeah, definitely have been all around New York and... Uh, you know, with the, with the exception of Staten Island, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I've been there. I've been there a few times. I can't say that I hang out there too too often. <laughs> All right. But yeah, very much a New Yorker. So. Very much a New Yorker, but originally from China. Okay, so you hinted a little bit about your family, how it's changed over time. Mm -hmm. Can you start from the beginning? I think your story is very interesting, especially because you are a male Chinese adoptee. Mm. I think in this present time, people don't appreciate distinguishing between male and female, gender specific and everything. So, but having you be a male in the context of Chinese adoptees, transracial Chinese mm -hmm. adoptee, I think is something to focus on. So I really want to bring it back to you. And if you could go more into about how your family has changed. Yeah. So starting with, starting with just being uh, a, a male Chinese adoptee, you know, I was one of the early early male adoptees ever that was adopted out of the country, out of China. And yeah, I think that, that there, there's some significance there for sure. Oh, yeah. Typically just mainly because China is a patriarchal society and because of the one child policy, 
families were you know had a predisposition to give up their their female babies or their I guess their their little girls um, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, the sons that you know that goes through my mind that's something that uh, you know I think is significant um, the reasons for which I was adopted are are unclear as you know I'm sure you're well aware of you know the reasons could be geopolitical I had some health conditions at the time even though I was technically on the healthy baby list when I was adopted but yeah I actually had uh, a heart condition where I had a hole in my heart, a small hole, and it's somewhat common uh, of a complication, but it's called a ventricular septal defect, a VSD for short. And basically, it was clear that there was a good chance that I would need surgery at some point in my in my early years. Mm-hmm. And there's some speculation. At least my dad likes to think that there's both of my dads like to think that there's speculation on on that being some of the reason why I was given up. I could have had siblings that was older than me and been given up for that reason so yeah definitely various um various reasons for which i could have been given up yeah the story i guess the the story starts the adoption story specifically starts with my dad's being gay men in in the u.s and right or i'll say gay and or queer um to be a little bit more inclusive but to be a queer man in the u.s in the 70s 80s 90s uh, it was more complicated, and it still is complicated today, but it was certainly, certainly more complicated then. When we think about what it means to be human, family is a big part of that. Right. And both of my dads came from very much you know, family-oriented oriented families. Uh, they, you know, they love hanging out with their families. They have dinner. Their, their parents were always very supportive um, of who they w- were as, as people. And so naturally, they both wanted to start their own families. Um, they both wanted to be fathers, but being a, a queer man in the in the seventies, eighties, nineties, etc., you know, there was no guarantee that you would would be able to become a father ever. That was complicated. After looking at different avenues to do that, including uh, you know in vitro fertilization, including foster care, including other things, my dads eventually met each other and sort of decided to take the next steps in you know co-parenting and, and co-adopting. And they came to realize that, you know, maybe China, given that they just opened the, their doors to, to international adoption, would be the, the easiest uh, route to navigate. Right. Yeah. So where in China are you from? So I'm from Yueyang in the Hunan province in China. Okay. Yeah. There's more story to my dad's being matched with me. So my dad's met in 1991, and they finally started the adoption process a couple years later. In 93 mm-hmm. and as queer men at the time you couldn't just go out to an adoption agency and say like hey you know I'm a you know we're, we're a queer couple and we want to adopt um, you know that wasn't allowed at the time what they had to do was you know they consulted with different people that they were familiar with different gay couples and lesbian couples that had had looked into this the route that they ended up going with was uh, working with a social worker and the social worker would work with the different uh, legal entities, both in the U.S. and in China, to be matched with baby in China. And at first, okay, and then one stipulation there is you also have to adopt uh, legally as a single parent. So mm, the dad, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's just so much bureaucracy and adoption, and, and some of that is for for good reason. But uh, yeah, lots of things that people could could overthink easily. Because oh, in your photos, it's only your one dad. Going to China. Going yes. to China to get to get you. Yeah, yeah. So, 
So the dad, um, my dad, Bill, so my dad's names are Bill and Sam. And my dad, Bill, is uh, five years older than my dad, Sam. Mm -hmm. And the story goes, my dads at the time were 39 and 35. So, you know, four and a half years or something difference. And you had to be 40 to adopt from China at the time in the 90s. And, you know, the social worker informed them that, yeah, technically you have to be 40, but because my dad is 39, there shouldn't be too much of an issue. Okay. And so they went along filing the different papers and getting the legal process uh, in order. And a couple months before, well, yeah, actually, you know, like half a year after doing lots of paperwork and home studies and, and all of that, they finally got matched with a little baby, a little kid. Mm-hmm. And that little kid was May. Her name was May. And ah. the, the person that they were matched with was a little girl. And... They expected that because more more girls were readily available. Right. And then just two months before, actually, I think it's two months. Yeah, I think just two months before going to China, they got a call from their lawyer and from their social worker, and they said, hey, the Chinese um, you know, entities found out that Bill wasn't 40 yet and aren't giving you May. They're oh. not They're not going to allow you to, to bring May out of, the, out of the country because you're not 40. And the reasons for that were mostly related to there was some some belief that that Westerners or specifically you know single single men perhaps could be adopting for the wrong reasons and you know marrying their their little uh. baby. Um, so they wanted to make sure that the age was a minimum of forty. Oh boy. Okay. I but see. anyway, so the social worker and the lawyer called my dad's and they said, hey. This adoption with May isn't going to go through, but we found you a boy. And the boy, you know, the boy, his name is Wei Min, and, the, you know, the Chinese officials have given the okay on that. And that was me. Oh. So, so that definitely sort of a roundabout story, but, yeah, it all worked out. In, I didn't know the about end. the rule about mm-hmm. you had to be 40 and also the single parent. I didn't realize that was important. Yeah, I think for gay couples and lesbian couples and, and all of that, yeah, it was, it was uh, a more complicated process. Hmm. Well, you were adopted in 94. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was adopted in 98. I don't know if maybe the rules shifted. Parents were definitely not 40 by the time they adopted. I think the rules are slightly different on whether you're, you're adopting as a married couple versus whether you're adopting oh, as a single parent versus whether you're adopting as a single parent you know, woman or a single parent man. Okay. So, yeah, there's some slight variations based on the circumstances. Oh, man. So they brought little baby Ben. Yes. To the U.S. To New York. Yes. Okay. And then you were what around five years old or six years old when your parents actually split? Yes. Or? Yes. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. You you watch you watch a few of the videos. I told you I feel girls. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate anyone watching the videos. So thank you. Uh, they brought me back when I was one year old, eleven months technically, mm. and when I got back home to to New York. We had a big family reunion. We actually went to Las Vegas to meet the rest of my family, uh, or to meet half of my family there. And then we went to Virginia to meet half of my family there, half of my adoptive family. Mm, that's right. And then, uh, yeah, then the year, early years, did all the normal little kid things, learned what it was like to try new foods. I, I remember I had a particular fondness to, to Cheetos. And my dad tells this great story of me eating a Cheeto for the first time and being very curious 
yeah, went to preschool, made some friends there, and then went to my, my I guess, my primary school and my, my grade mm-hmm. school in uh, junior, you know, pre-K, mm-hmm. um, junior kindergarten it was called. And that was the first time where I really felt like, okay, this is a time to come to realization about who I am, what my identity is, what my family is like in relation and in comparison to other families and other people as well. Right. And I, you know, I made a YouTube video about this, but I tell the story of going to school for the first time and being asked the question, I guess I can paint the picture better. So I tell the story of going, going to school for the first time, being dropped off by, by my dads on the first day. Right. And later that day, you know, a little girl comes up to, to me and asks, you know, why do you have two dads and why don't you look like them? And this question was asked by this little girl, but it was also asked by other people as well. Right. Kids are curious. And I remember vividly thinking, like, okay, that's sort of a that's sort of an odd question because it never passed my mind of this being a weird thing, this being out of the out of the ordinary. Even though, you know, of course, my dad's would say that, you know, we're this type of family and this is who we are. Right. So I looked back at this little girl and I remember just thinking, hmm, like, how do I answer in a way that she'll understand? Mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, you know, this, this happened a bunch, but I, you know, I remember always like, taking a step back, thinking, and then I would just repeat the answer almost verbatim every single time. I would say, well, just like you have a mom and dad, I have a dad and dad. Mm-hmm. And my dads happened to go to China to adopt me. And they would always just look back at me and say, like, oh, almost like a realization. Like, oh, that makes sense. Now that you say it, now that you say back exactly what I can see, then it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that was always nice in my primary school, my grade school, because everyone, all the kids were very supportive of me and and my family. And the teachers Mm -hmm. knew all of our families very well. So there was no, uh, there was no reason for me or my dad's to feel not nurtured in, right. in the environment that we were in. So where you went to, was it pre-K or Yeah, preschool? pre-K, kindergarten. It, it was a 10-year school, so a 10-year um, grade school. Oh, I see. Was there a lot of diversity, too, amongst all the individuals who attended? There was there was a fair amount of diversity. Being in New York and being in, in lower Manhattan at the time means that you know, you're limited on the, the amount of diversity that truly gets into the school. But yeah, there, there were... Actually, uh, in the class of forty, there were actually six other Chinese adoptees. Oh snap! In in my okay. specific class. Wait, were you the only male? I was the only male okay. Chinese adoptee. There was one other uh, Asian boy, not an adoptee, and yet yeah, then there there were five Chinese um, adoptee girls. Snap. Okay. So yeah, so going off of that, I mean, for me and and thinking about my identity specifically as it relates to adoption. It always felt really normal for me, and I think that might be a little bit different for, you know, you'll have to ask, you'll have to interview, and and I could connect you with the other five people, but, you know, for me being in that environment, knowing other people that were Chinese Mm -hmm. kids um, living with their Western families and and white parents in in most cases, uh, it, it felt like a normal thing to me, you know. Right. In my head, as as a five year old, six year old at the time, I would just think, okay, well, you know, some people have a mom and dad, some people just have a single parent, some people live with their grandparents, some people would live with a guardian, some people have white parents, black parents, Asian parents, 
and those are all variable pieces and those variable pieces come together to make what is a family and the family is is supported and nurtured through love love beyond anything else and that was sort of ingrained into my head at a very young age right yeah I I don't think I've ever not thought that Mm -hmm. yeah so then after I mean it's good you had that environment especially Mm -hmm. at a young age but then and also just just to interject here quickly Mm -hmm. I mean I realize that comes completely from a place of privilege Uh, you know to be in New York to be in um lower Manhattan to, to have gone to this school that you know it was an independent school and there were other Chinese adoptees there and diversity was uh, you know th- they did weird things about diversity but certainly it was at least um, encouraged and right. communicated somewhat like that all comes from a place of privilege and yeah I mean I can't say all of these things without recognizing that so oh, I just yeah, want to put that yeah. out there I have talked about privilege a lot especially in the most recent episodes but it's it's also difficult. I mean, family is family too, but and because of our families, we do have a lot of privilege that we wouldn't have, most likely, if we we're in China still. Who's to say that's true? But I know in conflicts that I'm having right now with myself and my family, I still recognize the idea that there's privilege in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I came to New York, moved to New York because of how I was raised in a sense. My parents did instill in me like a lot of independence mm-hmm. and learning how to navigate in a new area but I don't think I'd be living in New York if it were not for the experience I had very nice well maintained uh, childhood in Maryland so Mm -hmm. you know it goes yeah and just to go off of that I recognize that all adoptee experiences are different and even though for example one statistic that I think is interesting is the average at least international adoptee um, adopted family so a family that has, has gone through international adoption might have more financial security and, and comfort. Oh, yeah. But even though that's the case, and even though that, that privilege is economic privilege in itself, it doesn't mean that there aren't other complications, and it doesn't mean that oh, there's yeah. not you know, so much going on um, because of how much is going on, because of uh, so many different factors. So you know, pr- privilege for sure in, in some areas, and, and just added multifaceted you know, narrative and, and discussion as well. Okay, so moving past your pre-K years. Yes. That's actually when, like, the split okay, took yeah. place, right? Yeah, I forgot about that question. Okay. <laughs> I'm bringing it back. Yes, yes. Do you have a specific question about that, or you know, do you want me well, to describe it? Well, I do know, because I think it's really interesting, of course, watching your videos, too, but actually, it's like your parents had split, and then they, one set of your parents actually adopted your younger sister, mm-hmm. which I imagine that's... A very interestingly like, dynamic shift too. Right. So I guess asking a little bit more about what was that like? Because first you go through the, you don't have to go into detail about the split, of course, or any of that. Mm-hmm. But I understand like once your parents split, I feel like I'm doing a research project. It's like, this is everything I learned mm-hmm. about you. But it's just interesting because okay, I, I want to ask your feeling yeah. on once your parents split, both of them got remarried. One of them got remarried to a woman, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the couple that actually adopted your younger sister. Um, or so, is it the so other way around? yeah, so I can go over the, t- the timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was five years old, I think in, in kindergarten at the time, that's when my parents formally split. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think in the in the '90s they had a domestic union, which was sort of the alternative to to marriage at the time. time. And to be honest, I, like, it was such a long time ago that I I don't remember the details, mm-hmm. and maybe some of that is just me me blocking out. 
some things. I mean, I remember being very, I, I remember not fully understanding and I, and I do remember being sad about that. And I remember right. on certain birthdays after they split, I remember making the wish for when I blew out the candle. I remember wishing that they would get back together. And, but beyond that, I, I, I honestly don't remember anything. Like I can barely remember conversations that they had telling me about that. And, and yeah, I only remember like, you know, making a couple wishes uh, on, on birthdays uh, shortly after that. With, so with Cheetos, right? With, yeah, with, well, with some good cake, cupcakes and maybe Cheetos on the side. So yeah, so they split up. Um, I think it was, it, it was mostly a, a friendly separation and, or, or it was a cordial separation. And then at that point I started going in between the two houses. So I started living half of the week with my dad Bill and half of the week with my dad Sam mm-hmm. and on Wednesdays and on Saturdays I would move houses and being in in Manhattan and or New York at the time and New York makes it very easy to commute so you know my dad would just drop me off on his bike or you know, I would take the subway or, or something like that right yeah would commute between the houses and really you know that that's still my dad Sam currently lives near Washington DC but if he were still here and if I didn't have a place to live on my own, I'm sure that that pattern of, or that schedule would, would continue. I you know, it, it worked out really well. So my dad separated. I started living in two different houses. And then when I was seven going on eight, that's when my dad, Bill, decided that he wanted to adopt again. This time it would be from Vietnam and it'd be a little girl, my sister Mabel. And yeah, so he went through that, you know, that adoption in the early 2000s. And my sister was brought home. My dad and I, we, we went over to Vietnam and we brought home my sister, Mabel. Well, you went, you went too? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, went, I went to Vietnam. I actually do remember that trip decently well. Yeah, because if you were almost eight. Uh, yeah, I was almost, I think I was probably eight. Yeah, almost eight or eight at the time. And we, we took lots of pictures as well. I remember, you know, feeling like this was a normal progression in in life and in our family, you know, here, you know, we're, we're adding to our family right. uh, through adoption. And I thought, okay, well I was adopted as well. And, and now my sister is being adopted and you know, this is, this is a cool thing because you know, nice. this is what family is. So, so my sister, you know, came home and then, you know, we continued to grow up, uh, live our lives, our best lives, hopefully, but you know, complicated lives. When I was nearing the end of like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I think in sixth grade, that's when my my dads met their their new partners. Um, so my dad met Wendy, my dad Bill met Wendy, and then my dad Sam met Myron. Mm-hmm. And now they've been together uh, with Wendy and Myron for mm-hmm. you know well over ten years. Right. But yeah, at the time that was just in my head. And maybe this is just because I've gone through lots of family dynamic shifts and, and everything. In my head, this was just sort of like an, a normal thing. Right. Um, you know, like this, you know, families grow, families change, families go through transitions. And, and in my head, this was just another transition. And this was something that uh, it meant more family, if anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, in, you know, in our household uh, was Roz, who was sort of our like, you know, I, I don't like to put you know, like weird labels on, on things, but almost like our, our nanny, but certainly, you know, a family member as well. And I, I'd say our family has many different people in it. 
our nuclear family has many different people in it, but even though it's complicated and even though there could be a lot of room for tension and, and drama and things like that, I think at the end of the day, each of us that are a part of this family, our family, is very committed to the togetherness of the family. And for example, I mean, one, one display of that is every year on, on Thanksgiving growing up and on Christmas and mm-hmm. holidays like that, you know, we would always have dinner together, all of us, um, you know, both of my dads, their partners, uh, my sister, Roz, oh, wow. our, you know, our pet dachshund, we would all come together, whether it was at my dad Bill's house or, you know, my dad Sam's house, the, the location would sometimes vary as well. And that was a nice thing. Yeah, the, the family was not so much about any individual. It was, it was definitely more so the entirety of the family and us realizing, like, this is our family. It's complicated, yes, but but that's not what's important. Mm-hmm. You know, what's important is, is that we're all here and we're all um, part of the family, and each of us have to be part of the family to, to be a family. Well, and I'm sure it takes a lot of work on every member to form that dynamic, to, to have that, like, positive environment. I think it's takes everybody to do it for sure for sure and that doesn't mean that there's not complications oh, that doesn't sure. mean that there aren't road bumps along the way okay. yeah I'm, I'm sure that there's uh there was probably lots of tension along the way mm-hmm. but i think as long as and i think this was true for everyone in our family like as long as the vision and commitment to the greater good of of the family was there as long as that was there, I think everything else sort of solved itself. What you just said is how people relate to you who aren't even adoptees, too, which I think is a right. nice... This kind of segues into more about your current time and you're doing vlogs, mm-hmm. um, which is how I discovered you, how a lot of people have discovered you who don't know well, you. Well, I don't know about a lot. I don't know. You know you're getting couple, there. You're getting there. Working But I ask so many questions about your family because I think you take out the adoption aspect of it, too. Having to to women, to men, and then, any and like, a split or anything for anybody, I think, if you're adopted or you're not adopted, that's already in itself, like, a very complicated family dynamic. I just want to throw it out there. Mm-hmm. But I know with you being adopted and then your sister also being adopted, too, I was just, like, curious. That's why I asked. I was like, oh, I'm just really curious because you throw in that part about adoption, I think it adds, like, a whole nother layer. Right. That you're, you have a pretty a positive outlook. I did notice that pretty immediately. Yeah, I, I think that positive outlook comes from, it just comes from years of realizing that new perspective and varied perspective is, is a good thing, you know, diverse perspectives. Mm-hmm. And to go back to what you were saying about like bringing in other people into the conversation, I think that that is something that I really value. You know, yes, I was adopted. Yes, I grew up in a modern family, an LGBTQ family, but even if someone wasn't adopted and even if someone didn't have same-sex parents or something like that, it doesn't mean that they don't relate to the same struggles of going to school for the first time and feeling nervous. It doesn't mean that they don't relate to the struggles of having parents that are outside of the norm and thinking, okay, what are my, what are my friends going to think when I introduce them to my parents? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what's my significant other going to think when I tell them that I'm adopted or that I'm a foster kid or that I, grew up in this scenario those emotions those feelings those senses of uh, uncertainty are universal right okay this is one 
other male adoptee focused question. Yes, but yes. Because I've spoken with a lot of Chinese adoptees, females recently, and it's only been probably in the past six months where I've spoken to a lot of Chinese adoptees. Most of them are female. Before this time, I hadn't really spoken with a lot of adoptees. Uh, but we all share a similar idea of like, we're not Asian enough. And when we date men, are they only interested because we're Asian? Do you have that feeling being reverse like because you're a male Chinese adoptee do you feel like connection that you have to have a connection or you want to connect to being Chinese slash have women or men been interested in you because you are Chinese not at all see this is a hard question okay I'm okay, okay, okay okay yeah I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> make you think because it's personal I'm too to I know it's like question. yeah like I can speak from my experience oh yeah definitely and other women I've spoken with it's like yeah a lot of white men are interested in us because we are Asian like does that happen on the flip end sure sure well i i think that what i would point to in this discussion is that race and gender and specifically hollywood and the media portray (laughs) people in in all kinds of lights and some of those lights are positive and some of them are not positive and some of them are racist yeah just to, to put it to put it plainly and as it relates to me being a chinese guy, a Chinese American guy, I don't think me being adopted or not has much impact on that, uh, on how the media portrays Chinese men mm-hmm. or Chinese American men or Asian men in general. But yeah, I certainly feel the burden that, that I hold being a, you know, an Asian guy in a Western society, specifically um, the U.S. and and how, how the media sees us as not the most attractive um, female counterpart. And I say female counterpart just, you know, right. in sort of a traditional way. But yeah, I, I certainly feel that dynamic. And it can be when I watch a movie. You know, like I, I can sense that dynamic when I watch a movie and I see the, the only Asian people that I see are, you know, delivering Chinese food or they're working, or maybe it's a South Asian person working in a you know, gas station or something like that. Right. I mean, I see that, that dy- dynamic. But it can also be more personal, like when I go to a bar or when I go to a club um, or when, when I'm hanging out with people in a social setting and I feel like there is a, a sort of um, a shift in dynamic. Okay, how, how can I just describe this? When, when I go to a social place, I, I do think that race and being a Chinese Asian guy, Asian American guy, I think race does play a part. And it plays a part because even if I'm attracted to another, to, to a woman, for example, and even if they're attracted to me, they also take into their mind, consciously or probably more so subconsciously, the fact that they're talking to an Asian guy right now at the bar, right. and they're going to they're going to be thinking maybe maybe subconsciously, they're going to be thinking, oh, okay, well that means that other people around the bar are going to see me talking to this Asian guy, and does that put me in a place where? I'm a less attractive person because I'm talking to someone, an Asian guy, that is deemed as less attractive in American society. Mm-hmm. So that's a dynamic and a power, um, sort, sort of a, a power uh, divide that I definitely feel um, on a personal level. Mm. And it's not to say that I can't overcome that because you know, I, I am a very confident person for mm-hmm. the most part and you know I love being sociable and, and meeting new people. But it's something that at least in the back of the, my mind, I'm, I'm aware of. Right. And 
I, I don't think it's something that I should have to be aware of. It's an unnecessary burden that's placed on, on all Asian all, all Asian guys. And break. Yeah, but yeah, becoming Ben Smith is my YouTube channel. Oh, okay. And my Instagram name is B Ben Smith. B -E. Oh, okay. That's why I'm thinking B Ben Smith. Okay. Yeah. So becoming Ben Smith. Yeah. B Ben. Okay. B E B. I can get into the names as well. You are putting yourself out there in your vlogs. I mean, they are a lot about your family dynamic shifts that you've been through. It's a lot about being a Chinese American guy or in the present day too. I think especially with everything going on, the current climate, Black Lives Matter, and. Kamala Harris being mm -hmm. uh, elected as the running mate to Joe Biden, which I think, you know, like all this stuff is putting more heightened awareness than there has been before. Actually, no, I think there's always been heightened awareness. People are just more vocal about it now. So that's the other question I wanted to shift to was more about like, how do you decide to start your vlog series and then the names as well? Very good question. So uh, in terms of the names and naming my Instagram and naming my, my YouTube channel, my Instagram name is B Ben Smith B E space, but there's there's not actually a space on Instagram, but B E B E N S M I T H, and that's a reminder for me to be myself. Oh, cool. uh, when I look at the Instagram name, I think, okay, well, Instagram tells me to be a filtered version of myself, and I need to counteract that by telling myself to be an authentic version of myself. And mm -hmm. yeah, I don't always do that well. I certainly filter myself a ton. Don't we all? But Aspirationally, I try to be myself, and you know we'll see how that goes. Uh, my YouTube channel name is Becoming Ben Smith, and yeah, I definitely took some, some inspiration from uh, Michelle Obama's book Becoming. Okay. Yeah, for I sure. I thought so. For Did sure. you want to assume? Yeah. It also you know, also has some good alliteration, right? It becoming does. Becoming Ben, and and I yeah you know, I, I think that it's a meaningful word. So much of who I am today is because of the differences that I've had to go through 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 my life and so much of who I want to be in the future is predicated on who I've become today. Right. So I think it's an all-encompassing word that that really describes that, you know, I'm a growing person in the world and and who I am today is very important and someone that I want to love and respect but also realizing that, you know, there's there's tomorrow and and hoping to become a better version of myself then. And then, uh, yeah, should I describe a, a little bit about why I... Yeah, I think you asked why yeah, did yeah. I start Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting that, because I know you started two two or three years ago. Two years ago? I can go over the timeline. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm curious I didn't you... really. Start, I didn't really start. <laughs> there, have been, there have been many start, starting and, and stoppings of, of the YouTube channel. Okay. I did say For this sure. in a previous episode. I was like, hmm, it seems like this guy that I've been wanting to have on the podcast has been really busy making videos because it's pandemic, but you know... Yeah, well, I would like to think that I'm busy making videos, but the truth is I'm doing a lot of research, and I, I'm doing quotes right now, research, studying how to make videos, and, and that's not oh, as see. important as doing videos. So, I mean, there's definitely some creative resistance and, and creative anxiety, I'd say, that you know, I'm, I'm being faced with. Mm -hmm. I started the YouTube channel for different reasons. Uh, the main reason being that you know lots of kids out there have 
crazy families, you know, have weird families, have non-traditional families, are adopted, have same-sex parents. And those are things that lots of kids, unfortunately, might feel some level of shame with. Or if not shame, might feel just a little bit uncomfortable or or their confidence might, might be... You know, less than if they had a more traditional setting, and yeah, you know, I don't think that's that's fair for the kid to burden on their shoulders. Yeah, you know, I don't think that, right. and I and I don't think that we as a society should be reinforcing anything that makes a kid feel that way, makes a kid feel uncomfortable about who they are as a person and, and who their family is. Right. So I I felt like okay, well, if I have a family that is an adoptive. You know, family. You know, I'm adopted. My parents have an interesting dynamic and and are non-traditional parents. If I have all of this at my disposal, then, well, it's not opportunity to share my story. It's actually responsibility. You know, it's responsibility for me to share, be a voice, and to tell first and foremost the little kids that have maybe similar relatable situations to tell them, okay, well, there's another person that's out here in the world and he's doing just fine, and then to tell and share this with people that are on the that are on the edge of thinking okay well it's there are lots of people in the US specifically probably like half of the country that thinks that it's not okay for uh for a kid to grow up with same sex parents you know it's not healthy for for a kid's psyche to be put in any type of situation where they're out of the norm so because i grew up in a non-traditional setting I feel like, yeah, I have re- responsibility to share. So that's the altruistic side of, of my channel. And, and I, like, I, I'm aware of that. And it's something that I'm really passionate about. And right. I do want to share. But there's also, like, th- there's certainly some narcissism in, in starting a YouTube channel. Like, you know, I enjoy making these videos. I enjoy publishing. I enjoy getting these comments and the likes that, that uh, people will leave on my YouTube videos. You know, that makes me feel good and that makes me feel like I'm having some sort of positive impact on the world. And that's, you know, that's all very much self-serving. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's a balance with my channel and I'd hopefully like to maintain that channel as I continue to grow and explore new topics and areas, you know, regarding modern families and regarding adoption, but also just regarding New York lifestyle and the communities that I'm a part of that are not related to the family topics that, that I've talked about in the past. Avenue to connect beyond just the altruistic part that you mentioned and then also yeah I think everything at the end of the day it has to be fulfilling and uh, fulfillment I think has both altruistic and and narcissistic things that are that are related to it well I think ultimately when you take on a project or do something for yourself it's always going to be better than if you do it for others so Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not about the other people. It's for you, and also other people's opinions are not fact. So, well, you know, it, I think I think it depends. I think everything depends, and there's a balance. I'm a Libra, so yeah, you know, I'm not a, I'm not <laughs> much of a horoscope guy. But whenever I can say it depends, and whenever <laughs> I talk about balance, I point to the fact that the Libra is the scale. So yeah, I, I think just at, at the end of the day, like what you're doing is directly related to how other people mm-hmm. receive what you're doing. If I'm doing a video for myself and if that's well received by other people and if that makes people feel more confident about who they are as people, you know, I think that's that's something that I should continue doing. That, you know, that's that's uh, something that's meaningful and, and fulfilling. It's funny you brought up Libra. Katie's a Libra too. She's the mm. one that I mm-hmm. 
was inspired to do the podcast from. She's the one who's writing her memoir. Oh, nice. So I know I'm very familiar with Libra traits. And actually, the first time I met you, I looked it up. I was like, Libra dude. And it was like, oh, yeah, he actually hits all these points. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully my birthday is actually a, a Libra so that I can... I think know, it is. I have something to point to. But one, one thing, stepping back is... Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. I guess you know we're not. I mean, lots of Chinese adoptees are not a hundred percent sure. Well, actually, much less than a hundred percent sure. You know, lots of Chinese adoptees do not know uh, what their exact birthday is. It's oh. more so of an estimate. So, is yours an estimate? It's an estimate. It's um, an estimate. Okay. Yeah, I, I would say that most. Uh, my my belief is that most of the Chinese adoptee birthdays are estimates. So. Hopefully yeah. I am a Libra and all of these values are actually coming are, through actually. for real. Oh, so. I keep forgetting. I take it for granted now because I know my birthday is my birthday. Okay. Okay. So ever since I found that out two years ago, it's officially been two years. I went to China two years ago, officially like this time mm-hmm. that we're recording. Uh, but I have found out that my birthday is my birthday. So okay. ever since then, yeah. I think I take it for granted and I forget that, oh wait, most people, most Chinese adoptees, most adoptees, I should say in general, their birthday is an estimate. Right. So I totally... As, yeah, specifically, or especially the ones from, from China. I'm a, so I'm a Virgo through and through, is what that means. There we go, there we go. Okay. So those were like the really personal questions that I was like very curious about. So the last two questions I always like to ask, the first is, do you have a desire to go back to where you're adopted from? Have you been back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I went back to China when I was 17. Oh. That was my first time going back. I went with my dad, Sam, this time. Mm-hmm. So my dad, Bill, went over to adopt me. Right, and okay. I went back with my dad, Sam. Oh, wow. So it was sort of like a nice progression of, you know, fulfilling the circle. I actually also went back with, you know, on that same trip, I went back with my friend, Lily, who's from the same orphanage as me, mm. and who went to the same grade school as oh, I did. And she actually has two moms as well, so... Lots of lots okay. of coincidences, for sure. Yeah, I went back. I, I sort of saw the trip, and maybe this is just me being uh, like a seventeen-year-old. Yeah, this this was probably just teenager. me being a seventeen-year-old, like yeah, male teenager specifically, not being that in touch with his emotions. But I went back, and I sort of saw it as an informational trip, you know, as as opposed to an emotional experience or trip. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I, I was going back to see uh, different cities in China cities that I was taught about in school and cities that I was interested in seeing. And then I was also going back to the Hunan province and, and my hometown in, in Yueyang and, and the Social Welfare Institute there. And you know, all things that I, I really wanted to do, but more so from an informational standpoint. You know, I wanted right. to see what does the city look like? Um, what does the, the Social Welfare Institute look like now? And it's changed and, and been the buildings have been sort of uh, moved and, and recreated or renovated over the years. Oh, sorry, yeah. But yeah, what does it look like now? How are, how are the children doing? Are they in an okay financial place? Are, you know, are they, is this place that took care of me for the first few months of my life, are they able to take care of, of children today and in the future, you know, in a, in a responsible and ethical way? Like, you know, that, that's important as well. So it was definitely an, an informational trip, I'd say for me. Uh, and, and now that I think about it, I, I can sort of take away some emotions after after the fact. Right. But for me at the time, it was more so, yeah, you know, this was this was a really 
fascinating thing for me to see where I was from. Mm. Okay. Wow. I did not expect that answer at all. <laughs> Usually it's been like, oh, I haven't been back, but I want to. It's like, okay, we'll do it in your own time. Yeah, you know, I think you know my, that definitely comes from privilege as well. My my parents and my family has always been very open with talking about adoption. I mean, my dad's would like to talk about adoption to me more than I was willing to share my mm-hmm. feelings with them. And some of that, you know, I'm, I definitely have some walls up, and I definitely, I definitely like don't overshare in terms of my emotions and my feelings and and all of that but yeah if I ever needed support or if I was ever curious to learn from them and their experiences or how they viewed adoption in general uh, you know they would have provided the the space for for me to do that so an example of that is of course going back to China the last question I like to always ask is is there anything you would like to hear from other adoptees or other people who adoption has been a big part of their life Hmm, yeah, I mean, there's definitely lots I'd like to hear. Let's see. So I'm really interested in in people's backgrounds, and specifically, like you know, the differences that they've had in their backgrounds and the the things that they've gone through, and how that's led them to become who they are today. Hence Becoming. the hence the YouTube channel. Yeah, I would just love to see how adoption has impacted them. What things have been complicated and have made their their lives. Questions are hard to come up with, so you're doing a you're doing a good job coming Spinning up with the good questions. Here. So the main thing that I'm interested in is very much similar to the YouTube channel name, becoming, but I'm fascinated by how people have become who they are today, and I think for adoptees that's especially relevant. You know how how has adoption impacted them? How has growing up in a place that they were not born or did not expect to grow up in impacted them? And how have their families and family backgrounds affected who they are today in some ways that's probably made them stronger in other ways it's been complicated and yeah all of those little details all of those things that make people different are, are things that i'm curious about things that I, you know I'm, I'm fascinated by very well said very well said okay well that's all the questions i have okay wow you did it wow that was, that was a lot of pressure that was a lot of pressure well, it was also, I think I put a lot of hype behind this too. Oh, so no, okay. if you do go back and listen to any of the episodes, out of all those, I would say probably 20%. I've been like, okay, there's this guy that I have to talk to who's a Chinese adoptee. Everybody, just wait for it. So, well, this <laughs> I'm was sure it. You this was it. Yeah, this hopefully. It. Hopefully. Okay, well, I always like to say goodbye for now. Yes, goodbye. You have for already now. shared your social media, but if you like, you could do it again just for the end as well. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, yeah, definitely goodbye for now. You're living in New York now, so we'll do some future hangs. Yeah, my social media and to, to all the adoptees out there specifically, I, I would say that, yeah, I, I can definitely offer myself as a resource to anyone. It's easiest to contact me through Instagram, I suppose, at B-E-B-E-N-S-M-I-T-H, B Ben Smith, and... Yeah, if you're curious to learn more about how I view the world and my family and New York, I guess, uh, yeah, you can definitely check out my YouTube channel. And the name is Becoming Ben Smith. All right. Well, thank you for listening to ABC. You can email us at adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com or direct message adoptedbabiesfromchinapod on Instagram. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.